All right, so let's get straight into it because this story is so unique. And, you know, as we're recording this today, it's still very current, but my experience is very different to your experience. And I've had a very privileged experience of COVID-19 and yours has been pretty chaotic and very different from the majority of the world. So let's just set the scene a little bit. So for the past, what, 12 years, you've been a dancer on cruise ships and you have sailed the seven seas for 12 years on multiple ships with multiple different casts and performed to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So what was the last ship that you were on? When did you get onto that ship? And what were you looking forward to on that contract? So the last ship I was on was the Diamond Princess and I embarked on there, I think it was end of October, beginning of November 2019. It's so hard to think of years now because I feel like 2020 just one. didn't happen. Yeah, we've lost the year. <laughs> it was 2019 and I'd actually never been to Japan before and that ship is based um, in Japan so I was so excited to go to Japan and see the cherry blossom season, mm-hmm. you know, and experience all that is Japan because it is amazing. Uh, you don't even have to go to Japan and you just know it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also I was doing a triple contract. So I was doing three ships over 18 months with the same car. So we would go on for a contract, which would be around six to eight months and then go home for a couple of months and then go away again on a different ship. So the Diamond Princess was the last ship of that 18 month contract. So it was like an exciting time because we were all a family together. We'd just Mm. done two other contracts together, a year together per se. And we were you know, excited to go to places none of us had really ever been to before and um, finish the contract, which we thought was going to be on a high. <laughs> mm. And things started to to go south a little bit. So when did you start to, you know, you had New Year's, you went into 2020, you were excited because you only had a couple months left on this contract that you'd, you know, that's an amazing achievement actually to get through that many contracts and come out the the end of it excited to finish the contract rather than be like oh my god come on let's finish this contract you know so it was business as normal 2020 started you were doing your shows you were sailing around and then when did things start to change when did you start to feel something was a little bit off so we like on a ship you're in a bubble right so you hear the news but you kind of it you're at a point where you can pick and choose what you hear in the news so if you want to you don't have to know anything mm. <laughs> about what mm-hmm. is going on outside you, don't, you can choose to i remember brexit happened and i was a bit like i don't want to know anything about brexit i don't i don't want to be involved i'm not in the country i, I don't <laughs> want to know so yeah. you can have you can live in a bubble. I remember we docked in Hong Kong and we had an overnight in Hong Kong. 
which means we get there the day before in the afternoon and then we get to stay there until the following day, which is a massive rarity on a cruise ship. Don't get overnights that often. Mm-hmm. So we were all super excited. Oh my gosh, we just celebrated Christmas and New Year. We're in Hong Kong. Let's all go out and have a good time. Go out for dinner, go out for some drinks. So we're all getting ready to go out and we're about to get off the ship. And I will never forget this. Two of the musicians, both from the UK, looked at all of us as a cast and said, you're getting off the ship. And we were looking at them thinking they'd gone crazy. Mm -hmm. Of course we're getting off the ship. Um, Have you not heard of coronavirus? None of us had a clue. Not, this is at the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. We'd not heard, we didn't know what it was. They said to us, Hong Kong has gone into like lockdown again. Didn't know what that meant either mm-hmm. because of this, you know, respiratory thing called, called coronavirus. We were like, <laughs> no. No, uh, you know, the captain has made no announcement. We've not heard anything. We're going to get off. We all got off. No difference, you know. It, it wasn't in lockdown. Apparently, they were going into lockdown the following day. Mm. But we didn't know. We went out, did our thing, came back on board. And then from that next day, things started to get weird. Okay. In what So sense? the captain made an announcement a couple of days later and told everybody that a passenger had disembarked in Hong Kong um, and had then gone home and tested positive for coronavirus. Now, at that time, we didn't really know what coronavirus was. We didn't know if it was a flu, if it was like a stomach bug. Like we didn't know. There wasn't really a lot going around about it that early on. Mm-hmm. So, and it was really, it was really hard because I, as the cast manager of the team, people were asking me questions, mm. and I couldn't answer anybody's questions because. We didn't know what was going on. We were in the middle of the sea. So I didn't know what was going on. You know, the people above me didn't know what was going on. So it was, people were panicking because then they were going onto Facebook, social media, reading all those articles that are online, going into panic. And it was just, it was that initial thing was really scary because you think at first it's like a zombie apocalypse was the Mm -hmm. first thing that ran through my head is what was going to happen um and then a couple of days after that the captain then announced that we are going into yokohama and we will have to go into a 14-day quarantine wow on a cruise ship as well on a cruise ship which obviously nobody knew what that was going to entail because that has never happened before wow it's crazy though you know when i first heard of covid19 coronavirus 
you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to have said the same as you, you know, they think it's a zombie apocalypse. But for me, I was just thinking the beer, like I would just like, couldn't get past, I couldn't get past the name because it was the name of a beer and I'd never heard coronavirus before. And the only link I had to those words were obviously I've heard of virus before, but Corona. And I was like, that's in front of it. And it just threw me off. And I was like, what is this? You know, it's just bizarre. So you went into um, 14 days locking down on a cruise ship. Now, I know from being on a cruise ship myself that sometimes we're not always very privileged in the sense of getting a window on our cabin. And I can imagine that because it was you know, uh, a lockdown that maybe people were split up when you were put into cabins or other areas of the ship that didn't have any windows? So, basically, imagine you're a paying passenger Mm -hmm. and you have paid, you have saved up this holiday thousands and thousands of pounds, dollars, whatever currency you have. And you've got an inside cabin with no window, nothing, no fresh air, you are stuck. These guests were stuck inside these cabins. Now, the crew have inside cabins, but we were still working. So at least we could go and get fresh air in the crew area or, you know, leave the cabin to eat, whereas the guests were confined to their rooms And I remember for the first few days, we were finding our feet, still figuring out how things were working. Um, You know, the inside cabin guests started to complain. So then we had to go down and do a fresh air schedule. And we then had to give the guests, and this had to be mathematically worked out so that the guests could leave their cabins walk on deck on deck like the deck seven which is called the promenade deck so it's like the lowest deck that has an outside area it's usually the deck where the lifeboats are Mm -hmm. so they could walk around that deck for half an hour and then a day and then they would have to go back to their cabins wow so as you say, these people have spent thousands of pounds because it's not cheap going on a cruise ship. And for a lot of people, going on a cruise is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, you know? So they have gone from this living this luxurious lifestyle on holiday to being waited on hand and foot, entertained by you guys every night, getting off seeing these amazing ports to being stuck in this room and having half an hour to walk around. It must have been just crazy for them and that guilt remember, did you feel guilt uh, from that we had a phone call from an old woman who was in a cabin by herself and her t- she was in an inside cabin her tv broke oh god and due to due to coronavirus and the restrictions because when we went into that lockdown princess cruises didn't have control of the ship anymore it was taken over by the japanese health authorities so everything that we did we had to go through them and obviously because it was so new and so fresh 
we weren't allowed to send in an electrician to fix her television. They wouldn't let us. Mm. So yeah. she had to finish off the quarantine in an inside cabin with no television. Yeah, it must be mad. Yeah, that. I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about, you know, putting yourself in that. It's like being in prison and being put into consolatory, consolatory refinement? In what's it called? <laughs> Consolatory. I don't know what it is. I, I know what you're trying to say, but I'm afraid if I say it, I'll say it worse than you just did. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to repeat that. So it's like being locked down in prison, you know, where people don't get out and they don't see the light of day. It just doesn't bear thinking about. So, but how for you in that moment, you know, that must have been difficult for you because those, like I said, that, that tables have turned, you know, it's, you're getting the privilege now and that privilege is not five star dining. It's not entertainment. It is air and sunlight, Yeah, you know, and yeah, that is bizarre to, to have to go through. So you're 14 days on this ship and that comes to an end and how long from the end of that quarantine were you, did you, did it take for you to get back to the UK? So it was originally meant to be 14 days. However, they kept extending it. So I feel like by the time I got off, we were looking at more than three weeks wow. of being stuck on the ship. Now what happened was the British government emailed us all individually all the British souls on board were emailed um, by the British government um, and they were organising a plane to come and get us, to take us home. There was emails back and forth, back and forth about it for a good few days and the pressure for me, I think this was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make because cast manager of the cast, you know, they are... My family, I'd just done, like I said, I'd just done the last two contracts with them. And I had to make a choice whether to leave them or go home. And it was really, really hard for me to do because I felt like I, I, I felt like I was abandoning them if I was to go home. But at the end of the day... With everything happening, the British government basically turned around and said to us, if you don't get on this flight, we don't know when you'll be able to come home, mm. you know, and it was just a risk for me. And, you know, other Brits that were in the cast and other Brits within the cast that we just, we just didn't want to take, mm. you know. You have to look after yourself I though. I didn't want to be, my biggest fear was being stuck in, in a Japanese hospital as traveling around Japan, Japanese do not speak English. You know, you'll go to Spain and they all speak English. That, it, that does not happen in Japan. And I, and I don't think I could learn Japanese as easy as saying like La Quinta por favor for the bill, which yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I don't want to try my, sorry to all the Spanish people, that was awful. But, you know, learning Japanese is a different story. Yeah, it is different. So I agreed to get on the plane. 
which was an ordeal in itself, getting that flight. That mm. was, you know, we were met. They flew NHS staff on this plane and we had to go through, I'm not even joking, when we got off the gangway, we walked through the, what I can only describe as a plastic bubble. And it was the first time that I had touched land mm. and I just cried. I bet. And then we had to go over to these NHS, British accents. It was just, it yeah. was crazy to see them in hazmat suits off the ship that we'd just been on, dealing with all this coronavirus stuff, it was really hard for my brain mm. to kind of comprehend that this this is now this is now not just happening on a ship. This is real life. This is happening. Yeah. And they wouldn't even touch our passports. We had to put our passports in a little in a plastic wallet. You know, we wouldn't. They wouldn't let us touch anything. Got on the plane. And then we had to isolate in Liverpool. <laughs> so they flew us to like the southest part of the UK to some Royal Air Force Army barracks. Wow. And then we had to drive from there up to the Wirral, which took like six hours, all crammed on this bus. I mean, it was just horrendous. Did, did you have PPE on? Oh yeah, we well, we had a face mask. Yeah, that um, was what, it. What kind of um, plane was it? Was it like an RAF plane or was it just a? No, it was like a bit. It was just a normal, like a Boeing jet um, flight. But there was only like fifty to sixty of us leaving, so we had the whole plane to ourselves. Wow. So we literally, they were, they staggered us on the plane. You know, socially distanced us on the plane. And then we all got crammed on buses next to each other. Yeah. Mad, so that was weird. Bizarre. And, you know, you had to pack your life up and get on this plane and against your will, in a sense, you know, where you were leaving behind people that you've been working with for so long that are different nationals of different countries. And then you're being put on this plane to a destination unknown, shoved on this bus, and then you arrive in and around Liverpool, what happens then? Do you go to a special centre that's just for you guys? or? So I don't know if anybody heard of this, but apparently the first lot of people that came back from Wuhan, this must have been January time, they had to quarantine at the same place before we got there. So we were like the second batch of people. And what it was, it was the... It's like an old nursing quarters it's like in a separate block to the to the ho- ho- I was say hotel to the hospital and they're like apartments like mini apartments so we got like like put in one by one obviously we all had our own room we couldn't share with anybody we all had our own apartment came with a kitchen um own bedroom shower bath all that kind of stuff living room tv and we had to download an app onto our phone and we would order all our food and drink off that app. And that was all provided to you for free from the, the government. Yeah. Yep. That's good. 
And yeah. did you have any symptoms around this time? Did you suspect that you could have it or how were you feeling health-wise? I, I had a really bad cough. Now, when I mean a bad cough, I mean like it felt like I was coughing from my gut. Mm. <laughs> um, now, on a ship, there's a lot of aircon. I tend to always have a cough because you're breathing in a lot of dust all the time. The ventilation's not that great. So I tend to always have a cough, but this cough was heavy. It was a heavy, heavy cough. But that was the only thing I would say that I I didn't have time when I was on the ship to kind of if I was ill, I wouldn't have known about it because I we I didn't have time to think about it. Yeah, the adrenaline was probably covering up any symptoms or anything that you had, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So you're in this centre on your own with in your little flat, ordering your food off of an app. How long are you there for? Um, so we got... We arrived there really late at night, I'd say around 9, 10 p.m. We get in, have some food, and then go to bed. And obviously jet lag, so up super early. And they called us in the morning, well, sorry, they called us before bed. And they said to us, you're going to have to have a COVID test in the morning, which, you know, pretty standard. Mm. I wouldn't have thought otherwise. But we already had a COVID test two days before we left Japan. But we hadn't had the results of them yet. Because, again, at the start of this whole thing, it took about four days to get your results back. Mm -hmm. So I ordered my breakfast, went to bed, woke up in the morning, knock on the door. And I thought, oh, great, they're here to take take my COVID test. Answered the door. Uh, three men in full, full-on hazmat suits. And I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. And they come in and they say to me, you've tested positive for wow. COVID-19. Um, <sighs> we need you to, they, we need you to pack a bag and, with your essentials and we're taking you to hospital and I said well how long have I got work and I I had so many questions (laughs) I was like first and foremost what happens with the rest of my stuff because I obviously had six months of you know my Mm, life your whole life what happens to that they said leave everything here just pack your essentials I don't know how long I'm going to be in hospital for. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I called my parents, obviously panicking, floods of tears, anxieties going all here, there and everywhere. Um, And they said they were going to come and get me in half an hour. It took them two hours. So you can imagine I'm just freaking out. Yeah, walking back and forth. I guess at this point as well, and I felt this at certain times when I was at work or wherever I was, that there was no sense of hierarchy in society when it came to the early days of COVID because 
the information that I knew was exactly the same information that anyone superior to me at work knew. You know, nobody knew anything before it was, you know, live at five with the prime ministers most of the time, you know. So how can you put trust in these three men that are coming in these crazy hazmat suits your whole life, you know, and after you've been taken on a random plane, on a random bus, you're in this random place, you know, I can imagine that it was pretty scary and, you know, anxiety, as you say, was, you know, right up through the roof. It just didn't feel real. Mm. Like none of it, it honestly felt like I was dreaming. None of it felt, and even now when I try and think about what happened, it doesn't feel real to me mm. at all. It just feels like I dreamt it because everything went so, everything was so quick. Yeah. Like you're going home, you're in, you're on the plane, you're on the bus, you're in the isolation facility, you're in the hospital. Like everything just happened so fast. And I just feel like I didn't have a second to just like take anything in on what was happening. And I didn't, have a second to I didn't have a second to emotionally deal with what was going on it I just felt like a robot Mm -hmm. that's important as well to be able to emotionally process what you're going through and you've got a really you know interesting take on life because you spent all of these years traveling the world and you have this incredible perspective on life because you're in this fast-paced job where you are docking in a different city, in a different country every day or every other day. And you've done that for years and years and years. And your your day is very scheduled, I would presume. You know, yes, you have time off where you're not doing shows, but you're a senior member of the cast as well. So you've got extra paperwork and stuff to do. And you have to book yeah. your dinner times. And, you know, you can only go for lunch at certain times. So you are used to living this fast-paced life, living in really uncomfortable situations when it comes to not having comfort as in your couch at home or your mom and dad around the corner or all of these things so you're you know accustomed to that lifestyle where it's very different and you're experiencing different cultures so do you think that prepared you that blueprint that you have installed in you from your experience in life do you think that prepared you for to deal with this a little bit more calmly or was it just like wipe the board clean it knocked you for six I don't have a clue what's going on I don't think anything would have mentally prepared me for what 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 was happening you know I'm a very healthy person like touch wood I've never been in hospital I've never I've never you know been in been in that situation before so for me it was very overwhelming um and again, territory I'd never been in before and not being able to see my family. And I also felt like I couldn't tell anybody mm. that I had COVID because I didn't want people to think I was like infected or like see me in a different, because I didn't know how people were going to react once mm-hmm. they felt like I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was really worried about telling people that I was ill with COVID and in hospital. I hardly told anybody because Mm -hmm. I was so afraid of how people would react to it. 
Yeah, I remember this was like, I don't know, the start of March, maybe when things were getting bad over here in the UK. And there was this website where it had, it was like a an Excel spreadsheet of, and it was updating cases from each country in the world. And I remember China I was exactly, yeah. at the top and then right underneath it. And I still remember the the name of your ship, Diamond Princess. Yeah. yeah. It was highlighted in blue. I remember looking at it going, cruise ship, cruise ship. Wow, cruise ship. <sighs> Alex. And instantly I was, and then I messaged you and I was like, please tell me you're not on that ship. Please, please tell me you're not on that ship. Because I, and I remember being with people being like, I think my friend is on this ship. And I just felt this like rush of fear, you know, because it was so scary back then. And, you know, you messaged back, you know, a day after or whatever, when, when you could get on your phone and you were like, yeah, I, you know, I, I am here. And I actually remember the conversations that we were having and I felt I, I could sense the fear in your messages because you were being very vague with what you were replying, yeah. you know, and, and I, and I didn't know anything about this coronavirus. I didn't know where you were. And so I kind of, I felt helpless within that conversation, but I did sense that fear. So it's interesting to, to hear you say now that there was fear there and you know it's 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 such a scary thing to to go through when you know nothing about it but knowing about you know, it I now had, like, people's mums facebooking me mm. like friends mums uncles dogs brothers or whatever being like you're the diamond princess have you got coronavirus and I'm, and it was just it was insane it was, I've never felt, I mean, never felt so popular in my yeah. life, but not for the right reason. Yeah. I you mean, know, and I just. You're looking I for that viral hit. <laughs> you're looking for a viral hit as, you know, a dancer, as a performer, not looking for a viral infection. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. But so this might seem like a really random question. Do you feel that the fear and that shame of feeling you know like you didn't want people to know you were infected and all of those things do you feel that you still take it as serious now knowing more about it or do you look back and go oh what was I playing at it was it's nothing or how do you feel about I it I mean now? I definitely feel like if I got COVID now I would just tell people mm. you know like now it's so it's it, it's so much more common now for you know like I know so many people that have had it now so I think I would I would definitely feel a lot more open to discussing it I hope I don't get it again <laughs> please but if I was to I don't think I would feel you know worried about telling people that I've had it or got it but mm. I back then when no one knew anything yeah, it, there was just no way. There was no way. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting looking at this. If you compare this virus to diseases like HIV or, you know, things that have shame attached to it, you know, with that same stigma, it's interesting how quickly we've come from you being scared 
because you may have this virus to now being okay about it because it's been normalized. So it's interesting yeah. how, what makes coronavirus and the process that we've had to go through different to any other virus that has that shame attached to it. I think that's a really interesting point of view, you know? Yeah. It says a lot about society I remember as well. when, when we got the when we got the ambulance to Sheffield Hospital, we actually had a police escort. <laughs> so there was four ambulances. There was a leader ambulance, the ambulance with me and another crew member in who both, we both had COVID and there was a nurse in there with us. Mm. Then in the ambulance behind us, there was no one in there, but our bags were in there. And, another nurse in a hazmat suit in case the ambulance that we were in broke down or crashed and that nurse couldn't then ride with us we had a spare nurse in that one then we had a fourth ambulance just in case and then a police escort wow it's literally like you're the royal family trying to get through I, or like a president literally. but i couldn't enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like now I'd be like, oh, this is fabulous. Couldn't yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> mm -hmm. it and even so when we bizarre. got to the hospital, they shut off half of the hospital. We went through a back door because the press were there because they knew somehow it got out that people had tested positive from the Diamond Princess and the press were there. So they had to sneak us through a back door they shut off half the hospital. Um, I'm not joking. There were security guards. They blocked out. They blocked out the hospital. You know, like the windows through a door. They blacked mm -hmm. them all out so no one could see us. And then we got put in these, like, we were in the infectious diseases ward. I got put in this room with, you know, like a full-on, full-on own room. And I had to give them a code word that them and my parents knew in case my parents needed to ring the hospital. And there was a f my fake name on the door. It was a fake name. Wow. Because the press were everywhere. I remember waking up the, the first night in hospital. I was so jet lagged. So I'm still on J Japanese, like Asian time. I woke up in the morning. I remember turning on the news and I was the first thing that was on the news. Two crew members are in Sheffield Hospital have tested positive for coronavirus. That was me. <laughs> it's just bizarre, isn't it? And having a different name now, putting that onto it. Can you tell? Yeah, they me, put, can you tell me what your your COVID name was? They never told. They didn't tell me. Oh, you don't know? No. What a mystery! What a mystery! That is so, yeah, it's just so at every angle you have something bizarre, surreal, crazy, never experienced happening to you from every single angle. And I presume that you're getting doctors and nurses coming in every five minutes or knocking on the door asking for this or asking for that or what was the, the, so the medical they process? they would obviously want everything off me if you know what I mean when mm. I say that. Mm. So they wanted, uh, bear in mind, I'd never given blood before. So 
I had to then deal with that. I had a panic attack over that because I literally sat on the bed and they were like, okay, we need to take your blood now. And when I mean they took my blood, they were taking so much blood off me, Mm. like vials and test tubes and it was everything. I lost so much weight being in hospital and I was so pale because they were just taking all this blood from me and I couldn't get any fresh air. I couldn't go anywhere because I was just stuck in this room. Mm. So they were taking my blood three times a day, checking my vitals three times a day and doing like, you know, other taking other samples off me also three times a day. And the worst thing about it was that I didn't even feel that ill really like i just had a cough mm. it's great you know seeing how many people have been so severely ill with it as well is i wonder if you know people were getting worse after you got it because it was mutating as i don't know if that's the right word but it was yeah you know getting bigger and bigger and the spread was causing it to to have more of an effect and the, the more that there was, the heavier it was for the body. So if there's anything to be glad for in this sense is that your, you know, experience of it was was actually not as bad in terms of the infection itself. Everything else that came along with it has been really traumatic for you, you know, and you've just been yeah. thrust into this world that you just had no control. Did you feel that, you know, you're a hardworking girl, you know, you've got a great job. There's money in the bank. You probably can afford to upgrade yourself or, you know, jump in a taxi instead of getting the tube. Do you know what I mean? There's like, you've had this, this privilege in life that we can buy ourselves some time and buy ourselves some comfort, but there's no option when you're in this position, you can't do anything and you can't pull out anything to get you more comfort or to get you through this you're stuck there's no way where you for you to go and there's actually you haven't done anything so it's that feeling of injustice as well isn't it you know it's just it was the feeling that i wasn't ill (laughs) so like for me it was i felt i felt guilty for being in hospital because i wasn't feeling ill And I had all these people looking after me around the clock. You know, I felt guilty. And every time I remember they would come in and they were like, you know, I'd be the first person they'd seen with COVID. Mm. As a health professional, I was the first, me and my other friend from the ship, we were the first people into Sheffield Hospital with COVID. The first people in there. And what do you know what your number was in the country? I think or in- I'm no, I was number nine. Okay. Number nine in the UK for COVID. Wow. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's just doesn't it do, it just does not just doesn't register. And I remember them coming in and they were like, you know, these people work in the infectious diseases ward. One nurse I met. He did that. He was working with people that had Ebola. And he was telling me all these stories about how sick people were with Ebola. And then there's me just sitting there, like 
the worst thing about how I felt was him prodding me in the arm with the needle, Mm. (laughs) you know? Like, it just, it it was blowing my mind that I was in this hospital bed. I was there for a week, which felt like forever, by the way. It just felt like forever. And I was I didn't feel ill. It's kind of feels like what's the point? You know, but it's this yeah. Well, I feel like at that time, you know, they it was so unknown, right? And they just they they took every precaution necessary, you know, and it was just hard, like I didn't see a person's face for, for two and a half, three weeks. I just saw hazmat suits and face masks. That can't be good for you? No. It was weird. Yeah, so weird. So you get out of hospital, do you go straight home? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I got out of hospital. And obviously when, when I left hospital, I was negative. I didn't. I didn't have COVID anymore, but I still had to get an ambulance back to the Wirral to continue quarantine for seven more days. You must have just felt like it was never going to end. No. Yeah, it sounds horrible. It really does. But at least at the Wirral, when we got back to the quarantine facility... At least then I had more space and I could go outside mm. um, and I could have a glass of wine, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you can relax. It was just, yeah. The, was- the NHS are, uh, you know, they're amazing. And they, in our worst times of fear or whatever, they're always there to support, you know, medical staff are great with that because they're not going through their worst time. They are obviously scared and petrified because they're not only scared to come in to see you because you are infected. They're also scared because they've got their brother, their sister, their friends texting them every morning before they start that shift saying, please be careful. And the reason that they say, please be careful is because of you, you know, and Mm. that is, that must have added some level of fear to the, to the medical staff where they probably couldn't give you the compassion that you deserved in that moment. Did you, did you sense fear from, from the, the medical staff or did they, pull in their training and managed to get through it and, and seem okay? I didn't sense fear from any of them. I felt I felt bad half the time because I didn't recognise them. You know, like, I didn't know who any of them were because I didn't know their faces. I just knew them by voice. Mm. Um, one of them I actually got really close with while I was there and she was just incredible. Um and she was probably the only one that managed to calm me down. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of them didn't, I didn't feel like they were scared, but I did feel like they would ask me a lot of questions about how I was feeling, like what was it like on the ship? But they obviously had a lot of questions for me, which I, you know, it was fine. I wanted to answer them and give them everything they needed. But at the same time, again, 
me not looking after me and my mental health in that situation, I'm a robot again, back back into robot mode, and I'm just getting fast paced again and cracking on with what I think I need to be doing and in, and, I'm, and I'm not doing what I should be, if, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. So what does life look now? What does it, what does life look like now? You're, you're still involved in tests with the hospital, I would presume, and maybe yeah, dealing with so long is that a thing for you? Yeah, I had to go back. When I left hospital and the isolation facility, I was part of a couple of clinical trials, I, which is something I wanted to do. Um, I was uneasy about doing it at first, but because, again, I didn't know how much this was going to progress at that point, I wanted to help because I thought, well, it, I was a rarity at the time and I thought if I can help at least one person not get violently sick from this then I want to help and that's Mm -hmm. all I was thinking about was I just wanted to help so I'm part of a couple of clinical trials the last time I was in Sheffield was um I went for my one year after like discharging from the hospital in March just gone and I did. They're doing. They did some tests on me, so I'm still still doing those blood tests. She's she's a pro now. Yeah. She still does the blood tests. I had to do like a physical, so they're obviously checking my lungs and stuff are okay, and they're not affected. Mm. I've also had to do some neurological tests. Um, I think they were saying that in some cases the brain's affected um this is written reference to like long covid i still haven't a hundred percent got my sense of smell back from having covid um so they haven't like done any major tests on me for that they are aware um, but they've just said it's probably something that will come back eventually, but it might take a while. It's taking a really long time for me to get my smell back, and I miss being able to smell my food. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're saving money on candles. True. Well, I'm not really. I'm, I still buy them. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward to your career, you haven't been on a cruise ship since you were disembarked and thrust into this COVID-19 life after you get out of hospital you get home and then you are faced with a national lockdown in the UK and you've had to go through this just as just like everyone else in the UK and the rest of the world but on top of that you'd already had this extremely traumatic surreal experience where it was in your in your workplace which was just wasn't just your workplace it was where you live it's where you do everything where you eat you sleep you work how how does the future feel looking towards going back on a, a ship have you fallen out I of mean, love with it or i would never fall i mean i could never fall out of love with cruise ships it just has given me a life that i could only dream of mm. and 
I have met the most amazing people. I've seen the most amazing places. I've experienced the most crazy things. But I have made such insane life lessons from working on these ships that it is something that I would never, ever take away. And I'm beyond grateful for the experience and the support that Princess has given throughout this time as well, because seriously, uh, there's just no words. There's just no words. So when, um, when I was in the isolation facility after the hospital, my boss called me and I think he, he rang me every day. When I was in hospital, this man rang me every single day to make sure that I was not going crazy in there by myself. And he actually wanted me to fly to LA to teach the cast that was meant to be replacing my team. It obviously got delayed because of the ship, you know, being stuck and everything. But then due to, it was when Trump, closed the borders do you remember that when yeah. Trump shut the borders mm -hmm. so that got cancelled so I was only meant to go home for a week and then go back out again <laughs> I'm insane can't hold you down <laughs> no I'm insane however I feel like the longer it's been the more anxious I get I want to go back and I will go back. I would go back. I'd fly out now if I could. I'd swim to the ship if I could. Mm. But I do think I will have some anxiety, which I think I need to accept is pretty normal. <laughs> of course. Um, so, Is there anything that you're yeah. putting in place to prepare you for that? How do you process your emotions what skills have you developed over time to help you with um i was having really bad ptsd after the ship which i did have to have therapy for um and still now i get suffer with you know i have some little episodes that i have and things happen with my anxiety that i have like this lady gave me these exercises to make myself more grounded with my my surroundings and just stopping and touching something solid and breathing and it does help me a lot and I think that for me I need to just take things I need to slow down and not just rush 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 mm. Think I think I've done it and it's fine and I've not I've not been, I'm not afraid because I've done it and it's fine I did it really quickly so everything's fine I have to like go slowly and I do write journals and things now if I feel like I need if I'm in that kind of headspace and I feel like nearer the time you know when things get moving again and we can start planning work and contracts or whatever then. I think I'll be so excited to go back that I don't think the worry will come in until I physically see a ship. Yeah. It's interesting you say I'm, I'm sitting here with some putty that I sit and play with when I'm recording podcasts or I'm doing anything. 
because I feel that as well. You know, we've got similar, we've had similar experiences, but very different experiences in life where it's very fast paced. And in order for me to feel like I'm in the moment and relax and bring myself back down to, you know, feet firmly on the ground, I have to do like certain things that like help me to relax. So it's interesting hearing what other people do to to, to relax and to, to take time for themselves so that they are living in the moment. I think it's so important. Yeah, it is. So to close, I want to ask a question that's not related to your experience in COVID, but it kind of is related in a sense, but it's more about you as a person. And this is the first night you are on the ship and the overture has just started and you see the audience for the first time. How does that feel? Cry. It makes me emotional like thinking about it. I'll cry. Mad, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that feeling's echoed by thousands of performers around the world because our job has been stolen away from us and it's not the same yeah. ones on zoom we thrive and we live off of human interaction and yeah it's going to be exciting for it's you a feeling that you can never explain to anybody like if you're a, if you're a performer you know exactly what i'm talking about mm-hmm. like that gut that feeling in your gut that you get when they're like, when they give you that five minute call or when you're in the wing and you're ready to go. And you, do, I always like sneak peek at the audience to see how busy it is. And like, I have a look at people and there's just, you, you cannot beat that feeling ever. And to have it taken away, not only for a short time, but for this long, it's just heart-wrenching. And my heart goes out to those people that have graduated college and they haven't been able to do that yet. But it's coming. It's coming. And it mm-hmm. is going to be there soon. And the main thing is is for just to support each other. That's the only thing we can do right now is just be nice to each other and support each other mm-hmm. through it because everybody feels the same. It's going to be worth it. Yeah. 100%.